Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hello and welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema, a craft beer and movie podcast. I'm Max Minari. And I'm Johan von Summers. Welcome to the show. It's episode 200,010. 200? Can you imagine? We'd be God, dead we'd, for one. That's, I don't even, I don't want to do the math, but my Lord. We would be elves. We would just, like, we'd be the one making the movies at that point. Yeah. If you are listening to this podcast in the future, uh, back in the day that we recorded this, you could find us on a thing called the internet. Johnny, you want to tell them where? Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever the hell you're listening to this. Uh, I know some people listen on the Googles if you have the Androids. Whatever you're listening yeah. on, do that. Rate, review, subscribe helps us a lot. If you send us a screenshot of you reviewing us, we will send you a mystery prize in the mail. Nice. Trust, it'll be worth it. Uh, Instagram and Twitter, at Fresh Hop Cinema. Letterboxed and untapped, at Fresh Hop Cinema as well. You can email us at fhccast at gmail.com, like Austin did. Wait, no, he's messaged us somewhere else. Doesn't matter. We get thoughts. We get comments. We get concerns. It's great. Send us an email. We want to know what you're thinking. Uh, you can also help support the show on patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema. That's how we keep the wheels from falling off. Keeps us hurling down this alcohol and movie field journey that we call fresh hop cinema. Little as $1 per week. You can help support us, and we give you all kinds of bonus goodies for your ears and sometimes for your hands and your mouth. Who knows? So check it out. Go check out Patreon. Keep this rolling. Shout outs to some of our patrons, namely Mr. Austin Scott, Big Bald. What's up? Yeah. He had some really fun perspective and uh, different ways of looking at things, which is a really stupider way to say perspective on <laughs> the little things. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he reached out on our Facebook and uh, gave us some feedback on our episode covering the little things that uh, Denzel Washington and Rami Malek and Jared Leto movie that came out uh, we did a couple weeks ago, um, which was great. It's always fun hearing uh, from people. I also got like a private message on on my own Facebook from another uh, just a friend of mine that I hadn't talked to in a long time that happened to hear our episode. Um, so yeah, that's always great. If you have thoughts on the movies, I know we say it every week, but like reach out. It's really fun to hear, and we'll oftentimes I think so far we we are one hundred percent. We'll get back to you and give you. a thumbs up and a virtual high five. Like, thanks for letting us know. And then you might end up on the show. So Mason, if you're hearing this, thanks for listening. Um, in the vein of Patreon stuff, Patreon people check your feeds this Sunday, the seventh for our review of a fun, uh, bourbon barrel aged apple cider. I want to give another shout out to John Wallam, our patron here, um, for hooking us both up with cans of that. It was a very fun and unique experience. So we reviewed that and that'll be in your feeds on Sunday. Um, also, just sort of a fun shout out to all of our $3 and up patrons. We did a our first ever sort of COVID virtual movie night, and we all sat down uh, in our own homes and cracked a beer and watched um, Scott Pilgrim versus the world and had a live sort of message along in Facebook, and we were all posting memes and making jokes, and it felt, at least to me, like we were all watching the movie at the same time, which we were. I got, I got so drunk. Did you? <laughs> oh, I got housed. Because oh, I was drinking cocktails, and I'm like... Shit, yeah. everyone's drinking beer. I got to get a cool beer. Yeah. And then I had two versions of the same beer, one regular hop, one double dry hop. Yeah. Drank those both. Nice. Things just got sideways. I ended up sitting on my couch with a bottle of whiskey watching Scott Pilgrim, giggling, was very hungover, all that to say. I had a blast as well. What a great movie, uh, too. Yeah, so fun. Such a great movie to watch with a, a bunch of people. And I know there was a few people that hadn't watched it all the way through. I know. So that was really fun, too. 
Um, yeah, again, I think this will basically tie up Patreon, but if, if that sort of thing sounds appealing to you, you can go to patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema. Um, we have different tiers of rewards. So you can, you can get access to all of our bonus content for giving us a dollar a week. If you give us $3 a week, you get access to events like that. If you give us $5 a week, we drop off a beer on your porch about once a month, um, to coincide with either our bonus content or a main episode. Um, and it's just fun. So check it out if you want to support the show uh, in a meaningful way to us. Um, we also Hell just yeah. had a run of pint glasses. And they sold yeah. out. The come on the episode day be like, all right, if you still want a pint glass, let us know. But uh, we don't we don't have them anymore. They are gone. Um, and then I guess one more little bit of housekeeping there. If you haven't gotten yours yet, there's a few. I think there's probably five that I still either have to ship or deliver here in town. So uh, we haven't forgotten about you. Thank you for buying Can you imagine telling on yourself like that and just saying Honesty, it publicly man. how much you suck don't tell on yourself like that i want people worst. to know that we haven't forgotten i think that's important i, I care about yeah. these people i'm not gonna fair lie enough to either the whole point is that those sold out real fast so yeah we got another merch run coming uh pay attention to our instagram we will be sneak previewing that real soon uh but next time we post merch snatch it up quick because they so. are poof gone you know what sucks i didn't even get a pint glass that's how exclusive these are you're it's one of the five nuts. i have yours too <laughs> Oh God! Uh, I'm the goddamn oh, yeah. co-host of the show, and I can't even get one. Know, so man. if you've received one, uh, please tag us in your pictures yeah. on Instagram or Facebook, wherever you post them at Fresh Hop Cinema, so we can share them and love you all to pieces. You got anything else housekeeping wise? You want to drink a beer? Well, you know, I could vacuum. I mean, my my rug's a little dusty. I need to take it outside and beat it. But I'm other happy, than that, I'm ha- no one would even know. We can make an edit, and then you could go do chores if that's what you'd prefer. Yeah, no, I got to go to the store and get a Roomba. Oh, man, those are great. Uh, no, we're going to drink a beer, though. And we're going to drink yeah. beers this week from Fieldwork. They're a brewery that we've both drank personally for, for many a year. We haven't covered them. Technically, we covered them on episode 172 with uh, a collaboration they did with Altamont. It was Friends with Social Distances. This was just back when the pandemic had started. And I think before that, the last time we covered a Fieldwork beer was a beer called Salvage Garden. And that was on episode 79 Way back in June 2018, if you know anything about Fieldwork um, and their notoriety, they are most famous for their New England IPAs. And when I was there a couple weeks ago picking up beers, I think to myself, what would Johnny like? And the answer to that question is almost never New England IPAs. So we are not covering New England IPAs today. We're covering a sweet, crispy American Pilsner and a stout later on in the show. Uh, sweet in, in the not flavor type, in the, uh, the sweet being like, you know, super cool. Um, I missed everything you just said because I was doing a happy dance. Mm, I'm so glad. That's fine. Ooh, That's ah, what I was eat. saying is basically ah, these beers are going to make you want to do a happy dance. So oh, yeah. the very first one is one that I picked out. I tried about, um, I think I tried about nine beers when I was there. I did a couple flights and sh- uh, you know, it was good. They were all little pours. It was fine. I also wasn't driving. Um, and one that was, it was between this Pilsner and, and a German Pilsner. And the German Pilsner was good, a bit spicy. I can't remember the name of it, but this one in particular, Endless Visions, 5.8%. It's an American Pilsner. It is what you and many others would probably call a crispy boy. Uh, and on their website, they said this, beautiful aromas of pomelo, berries, lemon zest, and blooming citrus flower blossoms with a crisp, dry finish of crackery American-grown barley. Have you tried it? Oh, yeah. And tell me I was not wrong. You were not wrong. That is a crispy, crispy boy. But it's not as crisp as you would think. Uh, it smells like banging hoppy and guess what it tastes banging hoppy this is like a real hoppy pilsner i am into it though i'm here for it they actually say what hops they use we're working with mosaic amarillo and some lemon drop 
And I am digging it, man. You did a really good job picking beers this Thanks, week. Man. Thank you for just catering to my desires. Like, yeah, whenever possible, I will. Uh, I'm happily do that. That's that's one of my love languages. Is like your when palate. People buy is my palate. Like sure. just buy me buy me stuff that you know I like to put in my mouth. Well, I think the idea is like yeah, you know, somebody took the time to to factor in your taste and things you might enjoy, and then eliminated things that you would not like, and that takes uh, mental energy and time. And in this case, money. So you are welcome, sir. Yeah. And it's nice, too, because weeks like this, it's like getting back to just getting in that gear. We're like cruising in third gear and just like, yeah, I like this. This is nice. This is an easy drive. It's like we're doing two beers that we're probably both going to really like. It's it's not too much of an exploration of weird stuff. I right. know when, right. when I'm picking beers, I like to either accommodate like get something i think i'll like and something that you'll like if i can do that from the same brewery kind right. of just cater to both our tastes a little um or i'll just try and get two beers that i think are absolutely ridiculous and yeah. like we might hate you know that's fun that's too, way but, fun yeah but good work on the beers this week i think you killed it and i am really enjoying this have you had a chance to drink it no i just poured it and i smelled it and revisiting it now i'm like wow like this is so much hoppier than i thought it was and i think that's probably because I was pairing it next to so many IPAs, which are they had some West Coast ones and and New England stuff. But mm -hmm. I mean, those are obviously way more hoppy than this. But um, coming in relatively uh, well, if you count our bonus content, I do think that I cleared my palate from that maple cider pretty well. So this is like incredibly hoppy smelling. So no, I've I've not tasted it yet, but I'm I'm gonna go in for my first um, first impression or second first impression, I suppose. But um, I'm expecting good things. I'm, I'm sure it's just as good as when I tried it with. I think because I think it's only. Uh, it's not on the can, but it's about it's about two weeks old. So, you know, fresh. Still super fresh. Yeah. This is about as fresh as you can get it. Uh, I will shout out, too, uh, you had mentioned while you were there that this brewery has a massive amount of cans available at any given time. Blew I think my if mind. Anyone, if anyone's traveling in the Sacramento area, they should definitely keep this on the radar just because... You know, it's probably a product of COVID, of them not being able to yep. sell kegs to all these bars yep. and whatnot. So they've got so much liquid that, like, they're canning all kinds of stuff, which you as a consumer are going to be able to reap the benefits of. So if you're in Sacramento, you should definitely go buy a four-pack. I think that's not a bad decision on any single day that you need beer in your fridge. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what – I mean, I was going to stop there anyways. I was coming back from Ikea. I think we talked about this on an episode, but – um, yeah, like I, I was just kind of blown away. They had, I think probably like 12 or 13 varieties of beers already canned in pint glasses or in pint cans ready to go. So I asked, I was like, Hey, like, when did you guys start doing this? Every time I've been here over the past couple of years, like maybe I'm not even there on a can release day. So there's nothing. But even when I was, there's like two beers maybe. And they sell out so quick cause they put so much, um, yeah, they put so much out in kegs and then they just had their crowler set up. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was so fun to be like, Oh yeah, well I'll take. Well, I don't know. I'll take a four pack of seven different things. Sure. Why not? You have it. Like, let's do it. Right. I'll buy two cases. Yeah, man. It, um, yeah, it was great. So yeah, to your point. Yeah. Stop at fieldwork. They, they're probably going to have something. So do it. Plus they have a really dope location. It's like right in the middle of Midtown and they got a cute little patio. And I the, like their, their spot. They expanded or they're in the process of expanding. So if you, if you walk in the front, if you've been, there, if you walk in the front door, there used to be sort of a full wall to the left. They've knocked it out. They've expanded their tap room. And I think they're putting in like a full, uh, or like a mini sort of food service thing. They're going to have like little pizzas and, you know, little stuff like that, little kind of pub fair sort of things. Excellent. That even makes it more of a destination. Right. 
you always want to have a snack. I mean, it's proven that someone will drink twice as much beer. Like if you're going for one beer, like it's like an 85% likelihood that you'll drink two beers if you want a snack too. Yeah. And if you offer great food, people are just going to order that too, especially if they've already had two beers and then they order food, then they have another beer. Mm -hmm. Everybody wins. Yeah, that's like any bar that has tater tots. Like I'm one, way more likely to go there, and two, way more likely to stay there for an extended amount of time because I love me some tots. I didn't know you were a tot boy. I'm a big tot guy. I think tots over most fries for me. I guess if they're done right. Oh man, big shout out to 21st Amendment where I was playing at for a while there before the pandemic. They had a food truck. They had a designated food truck, like a 21st Amendment food truck, and they oh, did nice. tots. You could like have it with everything. They were like oh. the perfectly seasoned, like way perfectly crispy um, to the point where it's like almost, it was like right on the cusp of being like too done, but it was like the best bite. And they had like the, uh, like the pappy's sort of seasoned salt vibe going on. It was, and they had yeah. this aioli, like this, this like red pepper aioli. Oof, man. Oh. Great stuff. A well done tot. There's, there's nothing it's hard better, to man. That. I agree. Cause, yeah. Cause fries can only get so good, you know, they can like, and it's, you have to like almost cut them by hand uniformly to get like a really even layer of crust and crunch on yes. the outside. It's just, there's a lot more variables with fries, tater tots, are, you know, frozen prepackaged. I don't know if any other, you ever, like, did that truck make their own or were they just like dressing up or <laughs> I don't know, you know, tater tots. Uh, they, they could have, I was just thinking and bear with me on this. Cause like you have so many different types of fries, right? You got like the string cut ones or like the, the wedge fries or um, steak fries. I was thinking people should just, what if we made like different tots? Like what if you made one six oh. inches long, same diameter. And here it comes. You called it a tot dog. Oh my <laughs> God. In, in a potato. I don't know what you do, but I do think that the name tot dog is too good to pass up. Oh my God. You could market <laughs> that to vegans and vegetarians That's as true. a hot dog substitute and put it in a bun That's and just, dress it just like a hot dog. You want your carbs for the next week? Have our tot dog. Ballpark style oh with onions. You do Chicago kids. style with a hot dog and some tomatoes. <laughs> if I may, uh, or I'm it, not a hot dog, bringing it back in, I think a tot dog would pair very well with this beer. Dude, a nice tot dog and some endless visions on a summer day watching baseball. Yep. Yeah. I'm in. So I don't even think I've given you my initial uh, tasting notes here, but I, I think it's really good, man. Yeah, way more hoppy than I than I remembered, definitely, and expected. Um, but it still has that kind of clean pilsnery thing going on um and i really dig it it's not quite as drinkable as i remember but it, i you know that's okay well i think the further you get into this beer the more drinkable it becomes like the hop abrasiveness kind of mellows because this beer's super light on the palate it's it's really light on the mouthfeel it's easy drinking it's smooth it's crisp it has the hop taste but not the body or yeah, the the yeah. bite in the finish so it's really just on the nose and up front at the tip of your tongue and like kind of like front middle of your tongue yeah and it kind of just goes away and it definitely finishes dry but it also leaves me a little bit like a little bit salivating like i want to keep drinking it yeah uh there is a 10 out of 10 possibility that i will finish this whole can we do not always finish yeah. our beers because yeah. sometimes we drink ridiculously high percentage stuff yeah if you listen to the show you know like we're not recording together so a lot of times I'll only drink maybe half of a can, split it with my lady or your, you know, you split it with your lady. But this one, 10 out of 10, this going down the hatch, bud. Yeah, it's so smooth. Um, oh, I got a plane going over me. Someone's going to hear that in the background if they turn this up. Yeah, I, I hear it too. Oh, really? Maybe it's, maybe I'm hearing it from you. Who knows? Production's it's our, fun. No, it's <laughs> our plane. Yeah, okay. We're close. I mean, we live close enough that a plane might be heard by both of us. That's feasible. You, you live like a mile away from me. 
I don't think it's that far, is it? It's like 0.7 miles. Yeah, okay. Um, I like this beer a lot. Endless Visions, very great. I will also be finishing mine. Um, I'm picking out, or trying to pick out rather, some things that I don't like. Um, and I don't know if I can put my finger on anything specific yet. I just know that it's not um, creeping into like the high nines or 10 realm because it's not giving me that wow, wow mystery factor thing. But I really, really like this beer. And I think that I don't have too much more to add. So if you are good, I'm happy to rate it whenever you say. Uh, yeah, I have a couple things to add, and yeah. then I would definitely rate it. For me, this isn't going to reach very high because it is simply too hoppy for mm. uh, a beer that's not labeled a hoppy pilsner. When you, mm. I mean, if they're implying that with the American pilsner, I don't really follow that logic. Like, I don't think that American pilsners are notorious no. for being hoppier than other pilsners. Uh, so I, for one, think this is... This should be labeled as a hoppy pilsner because then my expectations would be fully met. But for me, this beer comes across as too bitter uh, for how it is advertised. Uh, this does not fall into the realm of like a real true like good crispy boy for me. Mm -hmm. This is a great like hoppy pilsner. Agreed. It's not a great crispy boy. So there's a difference for sure. It's it's a killer beer. Uh, my expectations were off from what was advertised. You take those hops down, like take like 20% off the top for me. Uh, I think we could really do some work with this beer. But for me, the way it is, uh, with my expectations being kind of like a, like not messed with, I don't, I don't like what they did to my expectations and my feelings. Right. Uh, this beer kind of hurt my feelings a little bit with the how hoppy it was. I wasn't ready for that. I like it, but don't you don't play with my emotions, man. When you're telling me it's a Pilsner, I, I expect a certain level of smoothness and not crazy hops. So for that... This beer falls at like a like a five eight for me. Oh shit, that's pretty low, dude. Yeah, a five point eight. Okay, yeah, it's right. it's it's good. It's far from great. This is not like a pilsner. This is like way too hoppy. This way too hoppy. Yeah, way too huh. hoppy. Yeah, and I usually wouldn't say that that's a bad thing, but it's just I was expecting something different, and I feel like uh, it misses the mark. Yeah, it's you and I were in opposite shoes on a beer. Um, I think a few weeks ago where you actually, well, actually you just didn't like it, but I was saying kind of stuff that you're saying, like, I, I like this beer, but it's, it's marketing is wrong. And if they had said something differently or yeah, if I knew what I was expecting going in, um, I, I would have maybe liked it more rated it higher at the very least. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think I had the same, obviously I've said it. I've, I've had the same sort of, uh, impression of this. I was like, I think it'll be just a straight up crispy Pilsner. And it isn't that, but I don't think that it, in my book, it's knocked down quite as far for that lack of sort of hoppy warning. Um, so I'm going to land on a solid seven. I'm going to land on a seven. Okay. Man, I think it was going to go higher, but now your 5.8 is kind of messing me up. That's way lower than I expected you to go. I'm going to stick with a seven. That feels right to me. But Well, okay. Yeah. That's respectable. I mean, it's, it's a solid beer. For me, though, and for my palate, it falls into feeling and tasting very similar to a session IPA. Yeah. And, and, and that is not a universe that I want to live in. I do not like session IPAs at all. And I don't think they really need to exist personally from, from my, I've never bought a session IPA in my life for my fridge. Like, yeah, that's just a game that I don't play son. So I feel like really that's why this beer is rated so low for me because it does call to mind so many disappointing session IPAs instead of, you know, bringing to mind delicious pilsners that I could compare this to. Yeah. I think it's, it's a safe, um, safe hill to at least take a stand on, you know, if we can make the claim that 
you dislike a movie or a song or any form of art that makes you feel a certain way that you didn't want to feel and you were looking for something else, you cannot like that thing for that feeling. I think that's totally justifiable. Uh, so yes, I, I stand by your logic at the very least. Do you have anything else on endless visions from fieldwork? Uh, uh, no, I don't. I was like, would I drink it again? Maybe. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm going to reemphasize and I want to take nothing away from fieldwork. Definitely go buy some other beer. Yeah. 100%. That's, that's the last thing I'm going to say. Okay, so Endless Visions, 5.8 for Johnny. It's a 7 for me. We are discussing a new film this week called Minari. It is a foreign language film, in, uh, mostly in Korean. So we're not going to play you a trailer. Wouldn't translate super well into a podcast format. But what I am going to do is uh, play a little bit of the soundtrack because it was composed by a guy named Emil Masseri who did the soundtrack also on one of my favorite films called The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And after a little bit of mood music, we'll come back. We'll talk about Minari without spoiling it. Uh, and when we do intend to spoil it, we'll give you a heads up. So stick around and we'll be back with some film talk. So, Minari is a film, not to be confused with Minardi, which is my last name. Minari is a film written and directed by Lee Isaac Chung, starring Stephen Yun from The Walking Dead, uh, who played Glenn in that. I think that's probably his most, I'm confident, that's his most famous role. But he plays yeah. the father of the Yi family. His name is Jacob. He's married to Monica, played here by Han Ye-ri. And they have a son named Alan, or sorry, played by Alan Kim, named David. Johnny, who else is in this? Uh, so you have Noel Kate Cho as Anne. You have Yoon Yu Jung as Grandma Sunja and Will Patton as Paul. Coach Yost. appearance for Coach Yost. <laughs> I love that, man. I feel like I've, we've been watching, or I've been watching so many Denzel movies lately, um, and I just re rewatched Remember the Titans, and I was just thinking, like, I haven't seen uh, Will Patton in as much stuff, and then I see him show up as Paul in this movie, like, Will Patton, you sly dog. There you are. Right. Ta-da. <laughs> Tell me about the release stuff of this movie, please. So this came out initially at Sundance in way back in January 2020. Uh, it had a run of virtual screenings in January of this year? No, no, no. Uh, yeah, of this year. Late, late December 2020 and early January. Okay. And then it was released for video on demand in early March 2021, which is how we found it. We watched it. I believe the first weekend that it was out because this has been on both of our radars for, for quite some time. It runs an hour and 55 minutes. Yeah, I had, so in the vein of those virtual screenings, about a month ago, I had purchased a ticket. A24, the production company that uh, we've talked about a bunch on this show and distributed Minari, was doing sort of, yeah, like virtual screenings. You could buy a ticket and then there's like a two hour window or I think a three hour window because this movie's about two hours where you could go and watch the movie. And I bought my ticket about two weeks in advance, and it was slated for, um, I want to say, like, February 21st or 2nd. And I missed it, which was quite a shame. Um, 
so I've essentially, if you count the podcast buying this movie, I've paid maybe 35 or $40 to see this movie. And I finally got to see it. And I'll tell you my thoughts in a minute. But um, if it's not clear, I was really looking forward to this. But I do want to know, Johnny, um, did you know about this movie prior to us scheduling it for the podcast? And, and what were your initial thoughts coming out of it? Yes, it's been on my radar for a while, uh, and I have been very much so looking forward to watching it. So my initial review before we get into spoilers is thus. Uh, Minardi, I'm sorry. It's hard. a good start. You should see me trying to type type this name of this movie. I messed it up every time because my finger's like, Minardi, that's my name. Minardi, Minardi, "Mm, Minardi. Delete mm, that D. mm, It's tough, but I appreciate it. Get the D out of here. My name was so ingrained in your brain that you said it instead of the name of the movie. That made me feel good. Yes, at one point I felt like one of our characters was actually uh, serenading our young Maxwell, and it it brought a tear to my eye because it was so sweet. I'm like, oh, she's singing to Max. Mm. Um, okay, so Minari, it was really beautiful to look at. First off, the cinematography. There was shots of Stephen Yun standing in a field smoking a cigarette that like made me emotional, uh, and that saying something. This movie had really heavy. And just raw imagery. I really liked the way it was shot. There was some really cool camera work that I will get to later on. But overall, as a film, it was a very bleak kind of film to me. It it played as a little dark uh, and a little, at times, hopeless take on the American dream and surviving in capitalist America and carving a niche for yourself it played as, you know, obviously someone not from this country trying to make make their way through. I thought this movie was kind of confused at times. It left me with a few more questions than answers. Uh, it was a really heartfelt story. There were really amazing moments. I really, really loved the the son of the family. It was almost like a cheat code having him say things because he's so adorable. Like I just loved him so much uh, that a certain point in the film when he was having a really hard time emotionally, it it broke me in half. Um, So obviously this movie elicited a lot of emotional investment. Uh, I don't know for me if it it completed the story enough Uh, and we'll get into that more, but it left me feeling a little bit bleak because the American dream in and of itself for the majority of humans in America is more on the bleak side. Uh, And if you come to this country, you're immediately at a disadvantage being a foreigner. So there was an added layer of bleakness and like backhanded racism that they were just constantly trying to overcome. And then, you know, trying to start a farm in and of itself is just a daunting task. So there was just, you know, seemingly insurmountable odds in this film. And it was a testament to his hard work and dedication to his dreams and his family and his follow through. And it was a really fascinating look at a man just trying to provide for his family like the best he could and also stay true to himself. And it, it brought up a lot of philosophical questions and, you know, questions of the role of a provider and it was a very interesting film because it was thought-provoking. Uh, as a story, I don't know if it was satisfying, but I thought it was very interesting and engaging. I really liked the way my mind interacted with, with this movie and the way it made me think about things. 
uh, made me think about my childhood a little bit, and I'll get into that later because I was friends with a Chinese-American family from a very young age, uh, and they were all not born here except for my friend. He was first generation born in America. And it was just, it was fascinating to see some of the parallels and just it reminded me of him a lot. Um, so as a whole, this movie, like I said, left me feeling a little bit bleak, but I think it was thought provoking. It was gorgeous. And I think it was pretty darn good. Max, what what would you think? Yeah, man, I, re- I, I liked it. Um, and I, I'm going to talk more about that in a second, but I realized we forgot to say even sort of a brief plot synopsis. So um, off the cuff, um, just wanted to say that, yeah, it's 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 this family, um, the Yi family, and they move from California to a new plot of land in Arkansas that uh, Jacob had bought sort of with the hopes of, yeah, like you were saying, making a garden or a farm and, and ideally selling their produce, their Korean produce to um, maybe like a large city like Dallas, I think is their first choice. Um, and it's, yeah, the movie plays out as sort of, the inception of this farm idea and the stresses that puts on his family and gets very much into the weeds of like the American dream and what responsibilities are and, and how important, like if your dream is going to end up taking care of those responsibilities, like how far do you push to, to make that dream come true and um, all of that. So that being said, I, I liked it. I didn't connect with it as much as I thought I might have. And on a little bit of reflection, I guess that kind of makes sense because it is, <laughs> an immigrant movie, you know, like I've had yeah. a pretty easy life. Like my family's been in America since white people took over America by kicking other people out. Um, so I have not had this struggle very fortunately. I, I also wanted to make a note that the golden globes happened, um, over the weekend and this movie won for best, uh, I think foreign language film. It wasn't a contender given the golden globes, um, restrictions for best, I think drama or whatever the golden globe equivalent is. I don't even know. Cause who cares, you know, um, the golden gloves, mm-hmm. but I just thought like, I don't know. They were, they, they made it to, they made it just like just American drama films. And, and it, the idea of a family of immigrants coming, cause they came from Korea originally to move to California, uh, coming to America to pursue the American dream in Arkansas on a farm of all places is kind of like the pinnacle of the American dreams. So the fact that this somehow doesn't qualify as an American film, even though, it is just because the people speaking Korean, like, I feel like that's such a stabbed, like, like that's not America. Isn't, I don't know. I feel like the guidelines for what America should be or, or like can't is allowed to be is, is wrong in the golden globes. I digress. Yeah. I like this. Movie. That's that's <laughs> no, I'm going to go ahead and say that that's pretty fucked. Like, like I, it's this, this is an American movie. This is as American as American movies get in, in a lot of is, ways. Yeah. This is about trying your hardest to be, an American and like the idea that you have in your mind of what an American you is. Can, you can forge your own path. Mm. And if you work hard enough, you can, which, and we can get into like the merits of capitalism. I think that's got a lot of issues. Um, but <laughs> before we get into that stuff, I think, I think it was good, man. Like I think Alan Kim as David, the young son is a, a sweet, cute little potato. He does a great job. He's got a little heart murmur and that's a thing that comes in and out. Um, he's a cute little potato. He's just a little potato. Um, he is a little potato. Stephen Yun playing playing Jacob is, I think, between him and uh, Hanye Ri, his wife Monica, are, are sort of the cornerstones. And we can also talk about uh, Grandma Sunja in a bit here. But um, they they do a really good job of of portraying believable people that would be struggling through this. And um, I don't know, man. It's just um, emotionally I connected, but maybe not, not so much. Um, relatability wise. You know what I mean? And I think that's, yeah. that's fine. I still think it's a really, really well-made movie. Um, 
I also think it's incredibly fitting to follow up our discussion of Nomadland with this movie. Yeah. Like this is also a film that asks some tough questions, uh, obviously about the American dream though. Uh, in this case in Minari, those questions come from a, a bit of a flipped perspective. Like Francis McDormand's character in Nomadland has essentially like, given up on a system that gave up on her a long time ago. But the Yi family is like setting off on a kind of more optimistic path for themselves. Um, like in Minari, we have this sort of traditional golden tint in some of these shots, quite literally, um, around the idea of like making it in America. Uh, and I'm sure we'll probably get into the gorgeous cinematography here. Uh, cinematographer was, I hope I say this right. Lachlan Milne. Um, and we'll get into his or her stuff. I'm not sure, uh, as we discuss the film, but I do feel like another good jumping off point for conversation is this idea of the idolization of the American dream. Like it's, it's one of the huge central conflicts of this movie. If not the central conflict is like this weird balancing act that Jacob has to do between his familial responsibilities and this idea of like making his, his passion certainly, but also the passion that's going to, for lack of a better phrase, water his, uh, uh responsibilities. Like, I, I don't know with respect to, to Nomadland, both kind of criticizing the American dream. Do you think that this did a, as good of a job, different, better, worse? Did you make uh, that connection? Different. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I definitely did. Yeah. It was just, it was written and acted. I mean, this just from a different perspective. Totally. It's, it's different experiences of how the American dream and living in a capitalist society bounces off of you and how it affects your personal experience. Both these movies were highly personal. So mm -hmm. I, I would say it's an unfair assessment to compare them, you know, directly. Yeah, it's true. I think in essence, they were both about kind of the same thing, but just in very different ways, especially with, with Nomadland, you had a character who was not only, removed from it but had been through the ringer of mm -hmm. living in capitalist america and retiring early and like taking whatever the hell they gave you um whereas like you catch the the kim what was it not kim Ye family yeah as a very young family like you're just trying to figure it out and like get the jobs that get you from a to b so i think it's a it's a very different perspective i think they're both very valid and very interesting. I feel, I mean, personally, if we're just going to straight up compare them, Nomadland was a far superior movie. Um, and who's to say if that's because it was more identifiable or if it was just more personable, like, or there was more characters that you could, mm. uh, you know, empathize with, or maybe because they were real people. I mean, this was 100% fictionalized. So that in itself, you know, gives it, let me like, fact check that. I'm going to fact check it slightly um, because it is. Um, uh, Lee Isaac Chung, this is actually, um, he wrote this sort of based on his own upbringing. Mm. So I, I'll give you maybe like 90%, not, maybe not even it. There's a lot of this that happened. It was embellished for the storytelling, but, um, sure. It's just, but I mean, like real love. I know what you're saying. Yeah. My, my point was the actual actors were like sure. real people, yes. but yes, no, as far as being an actual story, I mean, this is one of millions of, sure. of stories sure. of, of people immigrating to this country and carving out a life for themselves. I mean, what would the 1992 riots have been without the Koreans on the rooftops? Am I right? Maybe. <laughs> I'm just, just. I, I don't know me. what that is that you're talking about, but I, I. Really oh, you don't know about right. the rooftop Koreans, bro? No, the last when you say early early 90s riot, I think 91. I think Rodney King, uh, and that's where my knowledge of that ends because I was um, about one month old at the time. That's not yeah, how history works. Uh, I know about the American Revolution, so I guess right? I could know about that as well. 
Yeah, no, uh, roof Koreans are a thing, man. And they were defending their convenience stores with assault rifles from the rioters. Like, you know shit gets gnarly when you see the Koreans on the rooftops. It's just a thing. It came up recently with the, the Black Lives Matter riots and whatnot. Oh, really? Yeah, everyone was saying, like, we're just are the Koreans on the roof yet? <laughs> like, oh, damn. Yeah, they went hard. Like, because, I mean, they were from this perspective of, you know, coming with nothing, building a life. Yeah. Like, you ruin my store, I'm basically going to die. So, like, yeah. I'm going to die back, defending back it. Back up. <laughs> uh, stakes were much higher for the Korean immigrants that were store owners. So Yeah. It's also worth noting uh, this movie sort of takes place in, like, the mid-80s. I don't think I said that either, but that's kind of the – that's sort of the time that we're living in in America. And it took Arkansas. me a long time to figure that out. Me too. It's very isolated I, in that sense. Yeah, I thought they were in the 60s for a minute, and then somebody's dropping lines about Reagan, yeah. but everyone's driving, like, cars that were, like – 60s model and the fashions vary like could have been 60s could have been 80s it was it was confusing in that regard but i mean that wasn't really a strong point of emphasis so it doesn't bother me that much yeah i think there's a lot of symbolism in this movie too and it's, i said that like it was a transition from what you're saying it's not new topic um there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of religious overtones obviously um we can talk about the paul character if we want to um but the other really big thing is the job that they leave california from having done and moved to Arkansas and start doing while Jacob is sort of getting the farm going. And they, they, it's, it's sexing chicks where you pick little chickens up, little tiny ones, and you see if they're boys or girls. And if they're boys, you put them in this blue bin and those guys don't have a good time. And then you put the girls in a white bin and they also don't have a good time, but it lasts longer. Um, yeah. but, um, um, there's, there's sort of this through line of, of, or at least a thematic through line of, of like, the, the difference in the expectations of men by proxy, the chicks, but chicks, meaning the birds, not the girls. Okay. Men in a society, like the responsibility, like you have to make yourself useful. There's a, there's a, a nice little moment. Nice is maybe the wrong word, but a moment between father and son where he's like, that's what happens to the chicks that are boys. So we need to make ourselves useful and make ourselves needed. And I think there's a really strong, um, what's the word? Allegory. No, I was gonna say tint of like masculinity and what it means to be a man, especially um, if you factor in like the decades of emasculation by the American culture towards Asian American men. Like there's this extra, like you need to be extra manly. And I think that translates in, into, into Jacob's sort of farminess and like over commitment to putting everything before his family, because that's how he's going to support them. Well, that's that's Korean culture in a nutshell. That is that is the Korean ideal of being a man. From my personal experience mm. of just knowing people and and being not not incredibly familiar with Korean culture at all, but enough to know that that is a they're a very um, almost like the the Spaniards in a way that their culture is driven very. It's very machismo, very very man, man, man must provide like uh, yeah, big that's big American ego. culture too, kind of like. Yeah, but that's probably why he thinks he can succeed in America because he sees those ideals in himself. Yeah, I think where the movie and you can stop me at any point, and obviously we could cut stuff out if you want to. But I, th- I think the moment in the movie where the sort of um, pendulum of of responsibility swings in a different direction is when Grandma shows up, because it's the first time we're sort of challenged with an authority that's potentially higher than husband. Right, because elders, and you get the sense that um, they certainly respect her. It's it's the the grandma on the mother's side, 
Um, and I think that's where the movie gets interesting. And I'm sort of dancing because I don't want to say too much if we just want to start spoiling stuff. But Well, we've come pretty far. Let's just rate it and keep talking. Okay, I think that's fine too. Um, I'm just looking over my notes, making sure I don't have too much more to add. Um, I do want to shout out that soundtrack one more time. Emil Masseri, great. It's a really, I don't know how to describe the soundtrack. It's very textural. Um, and there were several music cues that I thought were, I guess, interesting choices for what I saw on screen. Like I remember consciously thinking like, man, if there were a different song playing, I might feel happier, but they're choosing this. Um, I guess I won't pinpoint which scenes at the moment, but I just thought it was a really, really smart choice picking Emil Masseri to do, to do this soundtrack. It was lovely. Hmm. I didn't really pay much or I say that I didn't pay attention. I didn't notice didn't stick the out, soundtrack, yeah. but it, in hindsight, definitely added to the overall atmosphere, 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 sure. yeah. and vibe of the movie. Atmosphere, so, yeah, the atmosphere, atmosphere. Okay, atmosphere. Shrugged. I don't know. <laughs> um, and then I, I guess we. I just want to say more a little bit. Like it is a gorgeous movie. Like connect. Can with we rate it or not. this? You can say whatever you want after we rate it. No, this is all my like non-spoiler stuff that I just wanted to say. And then I'll you can use... say non-spoilery stuff after we rate it too. It's okay. You're well, allowed. I, I can also say it before. Look at me go. <laughs> you can't. Um, right. it just looks Rip really it. great. Like I just, you know, cause some people, once we hit the danger zone, are like, okay, I'm not listening until I see the movie. So this is still safe. If you haven't seen the movie, it's just really gorgeous. Like these are really intimate shots of sort of like middle America. And it's very romanticized. And I think that the way this movie is shot over the course of it, as the narrative shifts and as our perspective on uh, Jacob's sort of endeavors and his, his commitment shifts, like the movie starts to be shot differently. Like it's very golden hour stuff in the beginning and like these really low shots of grass and like nature and, and it becomes more like industrial and sort of distant as the movie goes. I just thought it was a really smart choice for capturing hmm. the vibe that with the soundtrack, it, it was a very visceral experience um, emotionally. That's interesting. And then there was those moments where like uh, the grandma and the youngest and the young boy were like in nature and yeah. then it like flashed back to that, like really surreal, almost feeling cinematography of just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, I really liked so we since our uh, what would you call this a shout out to our Patreon because sure. we're doing the movie series thing. Yeah, we yeah. just did one on if you haven't listened and you're not on Patreon, we did mm. one on the role of cinematographers. And one of the things yeah. that you brought up in that is the laziness with which dialogue is filmed. Oh, and for sure. Yeah, like that. Once I got that information, I'm like, I should be on the lookout for this and see like movies or stuff that like maybe does things a little bit differently like i'll pay more attention to that yeah. because i know that they're actually like putting in the work and for me with relation to dialogue this movie put in the work yeah like for the, sure like the scenes in like when there was a like a single camera and it's just like you're catching over the shoulder but it's the two kids talking in the bathroom mirror that scene really stood out to me as just like an amazing visual scene just the way that that dialogue and that scene was shot and i liked all this the not what would you call it when a camera just doesn't move in just, like a room you know it's a steady shot uh just a stationary you know stick yeah, yeah stationary. stationary i was shot. like is there yeah. a cool movie word for That's that the best i got <laughs> just to not okay you don't know it for sure though yeah like, I, if there is one no but i everyone would know what you meant including movie people like yeah stationary shot a one shot i was um, i was uh, hoping you had that in your pocket though I guess like, not. that's that's obviously a blah, blah. but yeah like a stationary yeah. shot I thought that was really neat and the way that they did that in the house in their poor little sad mobile home. Yeah, man. There was one shot in particular that I loved in this movie. It was pretty early on. Um, Jacob has just gotten his tractor and it almost functions as like a Spike Lee double dolly shot where they mount this tractor. There's a little, there's your verbiage. Um, 
they mount a camera on the front of the tractor. He's driving it, looking towards the camera, and everything but the tractor and him is moving in the background. It's a great moment of like, he's just escaped from this little dream world. He's happy smoking a cigarette on his tractor and it feels like we're floating with him. And it's like, this could work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, it's a great shot. Um, And if you were wondering, yes, there are Koreans squatting and smoking cigarettes in this movie. Sure, yeah. That is a trademark of Korean culture. And I loved it. (laughs) I was like, I'm so glad they didn't leave that out. Yeah, my uh, my final question to you before we rate it is, uh, Will Patton. Coach Yost as Paul. Yay, nay, thoughts? I don't... Since we're talking about this movie like people haven't seen it, he was really weird. (laughs) Weird. And like religious, like weird, extreme kind of Christian, like speaking in tongues, Mm -hmm. carrying around Mm -hmm. oil, anointing Mm -hmm. things weird. Um, I mean, that's weird to me. Might not be weird to you. I don't know. Uh, in this movie, it felt super out of place, and I felt like it maybe like where if I, it threw me off. I'm like, are they trying to be funny, or is this just like I didn't get it? Um, I would have liked that character to have been written a bit more, like one way or another. Maybe, yeah. Your purpose, exactly. Great way to put it. Uh, just like, why are you here, man? Like, it would have been nice to see like an actual friendship or even like a normal functioning person but the dude was so like left field it really kind of took me out of it because will Patton's a great actor i was like ah will Patton, like they're gonna do something with this character nope it didn't really yeah i was admittedly pretty confused as to how we went from no thanks i don't need any help these are korean vegetables whatever i'm not interested to him sort of being on the farm every day um but even looking past that like i just chalk it up to me not getting it like maybe it's all symbolic and he's a religious sort of cornerstone of this film and i'm just not getting it like, i think this movie's good enough where i'm just missing something at the moment like maybe on a second watch like ah that piece maybe, fell into place like maybe he was just volunteering to do that like, no I, I don't even mean in in like a literal sense because i don't i don't think that character is going to make sense on paper certainly not as a real person um no but i just think the choice of having that person in this movie uh, the character rather is is something specific that i'm just not quite latching on to but I have enough faith well, in this yeah. movie that it, it is supposed to be there for a good reason. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Like, what if it's like a savior thing where he's just like doing all this out of the goodness of his heart, like mm-hmm. a charity or who knows? It was it was either so meta it was smart or so meta it was stupid. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that fine line. Um, yeah. Okay. It is a fine line, isn't it? Isn't it? Okay. Out of 10, Minari, Johnny Summers. Uh, so for me, Minari feels like a 7.4. Okay. For me, it's an eight. Uh, We're going to start spoiling some stuff. Again, if you haven't seen it yet and you'd like to, it is available for rent, video on demand. It's running $19.99 right now. Um, If you're a kind of person that wants to be plugged into award stuff, I'm fairly, fairly confident I'd put money or beer on this, that it's going to be in the conversation for the Oscars in a, what is it, a month or so, month and a half. Um, So see it. And if you do, please let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your feedback, obviously. Um, With that, I say we spoil it. You cool? Sure. Okay, spoilers for Minari. Anything in particular you want to talk about? Uh, um, I mean, spoilery. I mean, there was obviously like the the ending, but yeah. that I don't know. Um, stuff that we couldn't have said before. I didn't know about the dynamic with the grandma. I thought it was really fun that they made her a very not typical. Yeah, like, right. Asian, not a real grandma, Asian grandma, (laughs) American grandma. You think of 
yeah, like the like the kids said, totally. making the cookies, like doing the stuff. And she's like, I want to play cards and drink Mountain Dew. Like, yeah. she's kind of cool. Like, yeah. I dug Grandma's character yeah, yeah. a little bit. Uh, I like the way that they played out young David's like heart disorder and how it kind of started getting better. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah me too. Um, there was obviously some metaphor with him not being able to run. Like that felt pretty, not heavy handed, but like apparent, like this obviously means something, you know? Um, How do you mean? Uh, just, you know, he's a young boy with all this room to run in a foreign country and he's just, he can't run free. Yeah. Like he's being held back by something inside of him, like maybe his race or his heart. Uh, I felt like there was a lot of, of metaphor there Mm -hmm. that was pretty interesting. Sure. And, uh, I liked the grandma character, like I said. Um, there was a lot of scenes for me that were, I don't know if they contributed to the plot, like, and there was a lot of dissonance. I felt like with their whole one second, the parents there all the time, the next that they're there, like they're at work. Yeah. I didn't get that either. There there was a lot of like plot stuff and just like a linear sense that I was like, like the same with the guy working for him all of a sudden, like how the hell did we get from A to B? Yeah, we jumped. A bit. Yeah. There's there's jumping and there's stuff that like the the plot felt a little jumbled at times and I think that coupled with the overall just kind of morose vibes really left me feeling like that was a really great movie but now I'm kind of sad. Yeah, I found myself kind of waiting for an emotional gut punch and and I don't know that that yes. came necessarily but I I was kind of and part of this was the soundtrack like I I feel like I was being led supposedly unintentionally and, and maybe subconsciously, but I was definitely aware of it. Yeah. The, there's the scene at the end where, and maybe we can unpack the ending a bit here, but I just want to say that like when he does finally run, I'm like, Oh, he's going to die. Like his, he's yeah. going to explode. Like something's going to happen. Oh, I thought for, I thought for sure that snake was going to bite him or like the snakes. Like there's all these like ominous, almost like, uh, you know, first act guns that I'm like, something's going to go off. Something's yeah. going to go hor- And I granted something does go horribly wrong, but it serves the greater purpose. If you're rooting for, Jacob to come back to his family. I guess if we should just really quickly say they go to a doctor's appointment to look at uh, David's heart. He's getting better. It's all good. They get an awesome deal with a grocery store in um, what's the Oklahoma city. I think it was Oklahoma city. Yeah. Finally, it's all good. But um, Monica is like, you chose whatever you chose your business over the family. It's why you saved your groceries instead of the kid. We went to the doctor's appointment. They kind of decide to drive home. They're getting split up. And then as they're on their way home, grandma has accidentally lit everything on fire. Everything burns down as far as his uh, farm goes. Why did she do that, Max? Was it because she had a stroke? Right. That's great to say. She also had a stroke. And she was was also like affected her brain a lot. She was still trying to like do stuff around the house and they burn their trash. It was so sad watching her try. I know. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Um, like, oh, she's also, trying. Can like I don't know. Like if you're sort of an eco-friendly farm, I don't know that you're necessarily going to be on board with burning your garbage in plastic bags. Like that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, you know? Yeah, but okay, fine. Grandma starts burning some stuff. She tips something out of the thing because of uh, she's not quite all there and she's had a stroke. Uh, catches the barn on fire with all the fruit and the vegetables. And they get home. Everything burns down. There's this crucial moment where Jacob's like saving his vegetables and his wife runs in to help, which is I thought misguided, but fine. And then at the last moment, he ditches the fruits and vegetables, saves his wife, drags her out. And then it ends on a very hopeful note where they finally get a proper well installed. And there's optimism. And, and the Minari of the title is finally growing where they planted it. It's a herb for anyone that didn't know, including me. Um, the point is, Grandma starts walking away in her sort of stroked out kind of days. 
and the kids in, with, you know, um, David in the lead sprints after her and we stay on him for quite a while. And I'm like, he's gonna, yeah. he's just going to die. Yeah. And this was right after the fire before the end of the movie. Yes. I know. She I'm starts jumping. just shuffling away. It also seemed like she was walking very slowly and maybe she'd been going for a while, but he ran for quite a while and he was taking big steps. I don't spatially. Yeah. Didn't work for me. Di- yeah. Distance wise. Like, guys, cinematic. Where's the, continu- where's the continuity <laughs> consultant here? Um, yeah. But the, my point is, waiting for that gut punch and increasingly i was like it's gonna happen it's gonna happen and then it didn't which i guess is good um but i felt like you did a little bit tense by the end i was like i feel like i have this built up sort of um fear or or looming sort of ominous thing and it didn't necessarily didn't have any sort of emotional release for that yeah now now that we're looking back on it i'm i'm thinking and i'm wondering do you think that maybe that was like that feeling was there to kind of uh, symbolize the fact that they were holding on by a thread and that doom was impending at any moment. Like if anything went wrong, like they made it pretty clear they're an hour away from a hospital. The kid's heart could fail at any time. Like they're in a situation where it's at the flip of a switch, things could go terribly bad and they're losing money. Like maybe that whole vibe was just to get across the vibe of their life and their circumstance. Look at you go. Yeah. I think that's probably right on. Um, yeah, like that comes back to like my feelings on this movie. It's a really masterfully made film that I I do think kind of what I was saying earlier, but not quite as eloquently as you just said it, like it does manipulate your emotions. And part of that is the way it's shot. Part of it's the soundtrack, obviously the performances and the, and the, the narrative itself is all there to kind of guide you into a certain feeling. And it subverts that in a way by the end that I guess was satisfying, but it did leave me kind of like. I don't know, like, like I was lifting my shoulders up a little bit and like kind of holding in a breath. And then I finally got to let it out by the time they were like, we're going to use this. I didn't get the stick thing, by the way, trying to find the water, but they do get in oh, a proper well. Yeah. That's an old, old folk- folklore thing. That's like old Americana superstition. Okay. Well, by the time they finally do hire a guy, I'm like, okay, good. Like everybody seems to have, like, we've, we realized what's important and we're going to do our farm thing also, but family first. I thought that was all really nice. Yeah. Definitely. I wanted an emotional payoff of like him harvesting some dope eggplant or something, but sure. I think it was implied enough to be okay. I mean, you do but literally get that with the Minari at the end. You do, but also it wasn't enough to relieve that tension. Like I wanted yeah. like to relieve that tension. It would take like an over the top, like they now own a <laughs> chain want, of convenience store. You wanted a you know Walmart I mean? contract. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or like their own storefront. Because yeah, I kept sure, thinking, I'm sure. like, why don't you just try and open a shop? I don't know. Now, yeah. I, I think that, that the reason that didn't happen is because that's not that wasn't the lesson. Like the lesson was we kept our family together. Like that was the emotional payoff for me. And, and yeah. the farming became secondary, which I think is the lesson that he learned in that ending. Mm. So had it gone that way, I think it would have been pretty upsetting or at least disappointing yeah. to me. Did all their relationship stuff work for you? You mean husband and wife? Yes. Um. <sighs> It helped me that they put in sort of some exposition, like we've been married for so long that we forgot a song that we used to sing together. Cause I do mm. think this is much more believable as like a long-term relationship. Yeah. Uh, potentially gotten bored and like sidelined your wife. So you could pursue your kind of selfish dream and she could sit in a job that granted nobody's happy doing that, but like she's extra unhappy cause she's not particularly good at it. Um, so yeah, it worked. Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think it was very believable. Nice. You? Very good. I did too. Yeah. I, I, yeah, fully. <clears throat> uh, I thought, and I want your take on this. Mm-hmm. There was some 
really well-timed, funny moments in this movie. Yeah. Which like, ones come the, to mind? What does piss taste like, Grandma? <laughs> Man, that yeah, he had a he had a phase <laughs> there, like, dude. Yeah, the corporal punishment thing came kind of out of the blue. Yeah, get the stick. Oh, okay. Yeah, got and aggressive was, quick. <laughs> go ahead. They just that got aggressive quick. I know. You know when it was a like, get the stick. Like at one point, um, Jacob and Monica are arguing about something, and um, Jacob Stephen Young slams his hand against the table. I'm watching this with my wife, who was in love with Glenn on The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. and she just like un- I don't think she meant for me to hear it. She goes at that table again. <laughs> I was like, are you just rooting for him? Just so you want him to hit you? Just give him, you know, go get yeah. the stick. Let's do it. Punish me, Mister Yee. I know, right? Um, yeah. So some of that was kind of weird. Also, like again, maybe not fully understanding the Paul character. I could say that, but like his sort of self-flagellating, carrying the cross thing. And the weird church stuff was strange too. Like there was one shot in particular of a pastor and we got sort of like from up, up tall, like looking down on him, like really, I don't know. It was, there was a weird, there was some weird stuff. I'd like to watch this again at some point. Yeah. I think that's fair. Choices were made. Yeah, exactly. For deliberate reasons. And of course, be I just want to know kinda, what those are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the first time with a movie like this, you're kind of just trying to to chew it and get it into your stomach so you yeah. can try and digest it. I think yeah. the next time you can take small bites and appreciate some of the nuance and the layers of the flavor and whatnot. So yeah, that's how you compare a movie to steak, ladies and gentlemen. I love it, man. You got anything else on Minari? Uh, the funny stuff. I think that was the last thing in my notes is just the funny stuff. I really loved some of the humor like that, namely from David. Yeah. That kid stole the show. Also, it's like a cheat code to have like, like there's a reason that people say it's cute, but is it Asian baby cute? Is that a thing? And that might be offensive, but it's true. It's like your Asian babies are the cutest thing in the world. And like David is such, like you say, he's an adorable little potato. I just loved him to pieces. And uh, I think he stole the show for me. I think he's like the his role in this, besides Steven Yun, um, is the one that I will remember. I okay. loved those shots of Steven Yun in the field smoking. Like I the vividly the shots. They're so good, right? I don't get it. It was like oh, I'm like I'm. It, it, those shots made me remember. Like oh my god, I'm watching art. Like this is. Yeah elevated this is something more this isn't just a shot of a guy standing in a field this is like an oil painting that someone has figured out how to translate onto film and it made me feel like i was watching something really special so if for nothing else the cinematography and the shots yeah i mean i watched it in like 4k ultra hd so everything was so brilliant yeah um and the clarity of those scenes and like the moon behind him and stuff it was it was really neat uh that's that's probably the last thing i have to say on it you got anything else no i feel good man again if you guys get a chance to see it let us know what you think uh shoot us an email or whatever form of communication you like you can send us a carrier pigeon if you'd like uh until we hear from you uh johnny summers break let us take a break Young Max Minari, when you're tired from a long day of farming in the hot, hot Arkansas, Kansas, whatever state we're in, sun, you should head on down to the handlebar, get yourself an ice cold beer and a burger, 
especially during happy hour. Save you a couple ducats. You're going to get money off of cocktails, beer, half-off bottles of wine. Crazy good time. Family-friendly. Bring your dog. Park your tractor outside. Where's it at? Yeah, again, if you are here in Arkansas with me, let's hop on a plane. We'll fly to California all the way to Chico, and we'll hit 2070 East 20th Street. That is where the handlebar is located. They do have a great happy hour, like you just said, sir. Uh, seven days a week, 2 to 6 p.m. So go on down and check them out. Again, Handlebar Chico, 2070 East 20th Street. Daylight's burning my eyes I stayed up all night Staring at the starry sky And we are back. Johnny Summers, I can't help but notice there is some music playing under our voices, and that's not usually there. I'm hoping you can elucidate me onto what that might be. Yeah, man. So one of my favorite bluegrass bands, the Brothers Comatose, has a song called Morning Time that they did with Nikki Bloom. It's a great what? song. It's a fantastic song. And Fieldwork decided to name a beer after it. And it is uh, a coffee stout. And I love this beer. I love that band. Fun fact, Fieldwork has about five, maybe there was, I think, five total, but one of them was limited. So like four beers mm. that they've done. Uh, that were named after Brothers Comatose songs. They struck up a relationship after the Brothers Comatose played Fieldwork's first anniversary party, been friends ever since. Oh, so, cool. Fun little tidbit. Uh, Brothers Comatose also have pretty strong ties with Lagunitas. They were the first band to play in their tap room in Petaluma when it opened. Sweet. So, yeah, these guys like to drink beer. They like to have a good time. And they like to play some music. And this beer was named after this song. Morning time. It's a coffee stout. It's a 6% beer, and it is going to be heavily bodied and a creamy coffee stout. Complex notes of coffee, dark cacao, and milk chocolate. Maybe a little almond brittle. I'm very familiar with this beer. It is one of my favorite beers that they have ever done, and I was elated when I found out that they had cans available when you were there. So uh, I'm not going to sway your opinion any more than what i've just said uh, have you ever had this beer if not i would like you to try it smell it absorb it take it in and let me know your initial thoughts yeah i have i tried it when i tried the other beers at fieldwork i was just trying to get some stuff that and granted once i got the pilsner i was like okay that's fine i know that johnny's gonna like that so i'll get one that i think he will probably like and one that i love and i tried this one and i think it was probably one of three or four dark beers that i tried and it stuck out so incredibly, especially as a coffee stout, because yeah, we'll, we'll get stouts that are, you know, very roasty and there's certainly notes of coffee, but this is unmistakably in your face coffee through and through. And if you, I, and to the point where if you don't like coffee, you shouldn't drink this beer. I happen to love coffee. And I also happen to know that you, sir, also love coffee. Mm, so it makes sense to fan. me that you like this beer. And I didn't know it when I bought it, but I texted you shortly after, I think. And you said, oh, I love morning time. Um, so I'm curious to know the last time you had it and and how this time is stacking up on your first drink. I think I was in Berkeley uh, a few years ago and I had it there uh, because I haven't been able to get cans of it. I think I might have had a crowler of it mm -hmm. one time at a bottle share, but it's been a few years and I just remember it sticking out as really good. And at the time I had it probably two or three years ago, I maybe didn't have all the right words to tell you why it's good, but you're in luck. I feel like I have those words now. 
You want to tell me those words? I do. I'll share those words. <laughs> I mean, you're getting all the best notes of coffee without any astringency. You're getting a ton of... I like what they said about almond brittle, but for me, this beer speaks very much so to like a a chocolate malt. This reminds me... It's got a big Whopper vibe, which I'm oh. loving. Yeah. Um, almond brittle for sure. Uh, like... They're very adjacent flavors, so I can see that comparison, no problem. But yeah, this beer is so smooth, so creamy and crushable. Uh, it's I guarantee it's the thickest mouthfeel and body of a 6% stout you're ever going to have. Um, you're just like a ton of, like I said, all the best notes of coffee without anything you don't like. Tons of chocolate. I would say you could call this like... Uh, this, a mocha stout. This really does remind me of Sugar Shack, the beer that we did not oh, that long ago. Yeah, what brewery um, is that? Oh, I know it. I got it. Um, ooh, humble, humble forager was it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So when that beer was described as like a mocha stout, and mocha is chocolate with coffee, uh, it was so accurate to me. Like you could almost classify this as that. Coffee stout's fine, but for me, this tastes. If we're gonna break it down and get like real serious, definitely. If we're talking coffee, this has mocha vibes all over and i absolutely love it it's just as drinkable as i remember it's just as heavy on the mouthfeel and really low on the abv like this is this is the session coffee stout that we all want like this is amazing this is top tier coffee stout in my opinion what are what are your thoughts having it out of a can versus just having it on tap does it hold up do you like it more yeah, Talk you know, actually, it feels a bit thinner out of the can than it did on draft, which I guess maybe makes sense. Um, but it's still, yeah, like you're saying, like very much a full-bodied stout at six percent. I, when I was writing this in the notes today, I was I had to double check. Like, is it really only six percent? Because it it drinks more like, and, and not from the alcohol taste or anything, but from the body and and just the mouthfeel in general, it drinks more like, you know, high sevens, low eights kind of thing. Um, yeah. I I would push back for my own palate against the chocolatey vibes quite as much. It's for me more of more of like a sweet coffee taste, um, which I guess in the right roaster uh, could be a fine line. But um, I don't know. It's it's certainly coffee up front. I guess on the back end, there's there's some chocolate notes and I, the almond brittle thing in the description doesn't ring true to me either. But um, after my first sip, uh, which I think was your question, mostly um, it's really good, man. It holds up really well. I'm, I'm glad that I'm two for two also for for your palate today. Yeah, man, you're killing it. You know what daddy likes. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, dude, it's it's great. And I don't know. I, I think that it's probably worth discussing the, at least in my brain, sort of the skewing of people's perception of fieldwork being a New England IPA focused brewery, which I don't know. I think that they are, but that necessarily makes it easy to disregard their non new England IPA offerings. And I think that's a mistake. And I think two beers in a row on the show today uh, is a testament to that. They, their other stuff is not to mention their sours. Like I brought back a few of those that we didn't actually feature on the show, but we've talked about on our Instagram. Like they just make really good beers for the most part. Yes, they really do. Like some breweries are like a one trick pony where they have a lane. Sometimes it's IPAs, sometimes it's stouts. Yeah. And in that lane, they're world class, but everything else is just shit, or or just um, fine. Like sometimes, it's or just, just it's fine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But for field work, they're doing everything at a level that I feel is a like significantly above average. Yeah, I mean, I still think so. When I brought back, because I did bring back like six, I think four packs or something like that, 
And one that I was really excited to see that they had was their, uh, I think it's a double New England IPA called Pulp. I think it's eight, 8%, if I'm not mistaken, or somewhere in that neighborhood. And mm-hmm. I'd had a few of these other things. Like I tried this obviously on tap and the other ones, and I had a couple sours in cans that I brought home. And then I finally got around to drinking Pulp and I was kind of underwhelmed. And it was really? not to say it was bad, but like these other beers just kind of are stepping up their game. These other styles, I should say. Um, That's fair. I don't, yeah, I don't know, man. I had written, not written it off because I do like New England IPAs, um, but I could see how somebody who was not of that assuasion might have written off fieldwork altogether a couple years ago and now should come back around and be like, maybe I should try their other stuff because they are, as you said, more or less slaying it. Yeah, and I had a can of pulp that you had so kindly gifted to me. Yeah, what did you uh, think d- of that? Uh, I'm doing a thing every Friday with some friends at work in the warehouse where I br- I call it Fancy Beer Friday. Oh, we drink great. beers with our pinkies out. It's okay. great <laughs> because uh, not to detract anything from them, but like some of the homies are like a no, Corona guy. Detract, like, do it, do it. Well, they're do just they not listen? the. the uh, I don't know. I'm hoping they do. I keep telling them to, well, so keep I don't want to talk shit about, about them. them. No, do it, and then be like, "Hey, I talked yeah. some shit about you." And then they will. I bet you. I'll bet you. If you guys are listening now, let me know. Let's see if that's I'm right. that's some clickbait right there. It really Johnny is. Young Johnny Summers throws coworker <laughs> under said. the bus. Click now. Yeah, you'll never believe what co-host right, right, says. Right, 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 right. Yeah, um, it's just not the biggest craft beer guys. Mm-hmm. I know a couple of them are a little, but like it's fun to kind of just bring in things that are like eye-opening about what like the state of beer is right now yeah. and like what's happening. It's fun, and also it helps me make room in my fridge because. I have a problem. There's too much beer in there. Um, and so I took this because uh, Buddy Rich is a very... Did you say Buddy big, Rich? My Buddy Rich okay. is a very big f- uh, fan of like uh, hazy beers, likes the, the East Coast vibe quite a bit, it gravitates towards that, or like something light and lagery. Uh, so just really like approachable, like juice-forward type beers. So I figured Pulp... Pulp's really good because I know he likes some regular IPAs too. So took the pulp in and revisited that, and for, they all loved it totally. So that's good sign good, right man. there. Um, yeah, big thanks to you. I let them know that you brought it back. They all appreciated it. Oh, cool. It was, it was really fun. I, I got to spread that beer around to some people that had never tried anything like it. So it was really fun. Uh, I sound like I'm going to the zoo. It's like I got to feed the monkeys. Huh. But wait, but, um, but you you liked it also, or meh? Um, yeah. So my take on it was it, it was much more hoppy than I remembered, and I oh. really wanted to give it a bit more credit for being something more likable to my personal tastes. Like it was very hop forward. It was very pithy and mm-hmm. and and much more bitter than I remembered it. So. Uh, I dug it. It was something that, like, I would definitely grab a four pack of pulp and keep it around. Like, that's that's a solid beer. If I'm gonna go for a hazy beer, I want it to be in that that vein. Yeah, I think that's it makes sense for you. For me, it was actually a little <laughs> bit too hoppy. <laughs> I was okay, like, I don't know, that I makes sense. It was a little smoother than this, and then I drank it, and it was still good, but it did catch me off guard. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. maybe they've also tweaked the recipe. That's possible, or, but. Or you've just had so much crazy mm-hmm. juice bombs that mm-hmm. it's like your expectations of juicy are just like all over the place. Yeah. Oh, by yeah. the way, uh, we could probably tease this at the end of the episode, but we got we got a a, a fun package in the mail that's gonna yeah. probably make its way onto the show at some point. Um, and if I'll just say it's a bunch of fun treehouse beers that I've yep. a never had for sure. In some cases, never heard of. So Hell that's yeah. great. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Just you mentioned Juice Bombs. Treehouse has a lot of those. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to compare to something, compare to the best. Yeah. And I figured since we got a package of the best pretty recently, it was worth noting. Absolutely. 
Um, so. Bringing it back around to this, I've had another sip, and, and mine's warmed up a little bit since we began this discussion. And some of those sweeter kind of chocolatey notes are coming out. And I actually think for my own taste, they're fighting the coffee bitterness that I was really digging, especially when I had it on draft cold, uh, in a way that isn't as delicious as I was hoping. Yeah, they're definitely doing that for me, but I feel like they play off each other. Well, that's why I was, uh, like likening it to a a mocha Yeah, where you get those, those nice chocolate, like heavy chocolate notes mixed with that coffee bitterness. And it, it super reminds me of a mocha. It like wild. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like mochas. That will have a big impact on your take on this beer then for sure. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah. If, if you're objective and you know what a mocha tastes like, this is heavy on the mocha. Yeah. Agreed. I can't, I can't think of the last time I would, I have ever advocated for drinking a stout closer to cold than room temp or cellar temp. Mm. But I think this okay. for me is one of those situations. See, I like it more room temp because it does sweeten up and it, yep. it opens up a little bit. But I mean, if you're in it more for that coffee bitterness, maybe a little bit cooler is the move for sure. I don't like mochas either. Okay, but I do like a like if I'm in the mood for a milkshake, mm. I will do like a blended oat milk mocha with some like dark chocolate syrup. Okay, uh, it's just like you have like a sweet tooth, but it's yeah. definitely. Yeah. Personally, I think it translates very well to like a sweeter style coffee stout. I think that's a, a profile that you should strive for. Like if you can make a like a, a coffee stout taste like a dark chocolate like frappuccino, yeah, yeah. that's that's fire. A lot of people are gonna like that, and uh, this guy likes it. Yeah, I, I think it just needs more oomph for it to be as sweet as it's becoming as it warms up for me. It's just it's a it's too much, and it's it's sitting particularly after I've drank it. It's sitting in my mouth like. Just real heavy back of the tongue kind of weightiness that I'm not wild about. Yeah, that's Got fine. A though. little little bit of a, a, a aftertaste as well. Yeah, um, I am good to rate it if you are. I am. Okay, for me it is a pretty strong seven. I think when it's cold it's an eight, but that's not how I'm drinking it now. It's a pint can, so seven for me for morning time. What about you? Uh, this beer. It's going to get into the eights. Mm, question nice. is how far into the eights. How far uh, you'll make Max travel to get it for you. Yeah. If, if that, <laughs> if you're driving for it, it's as far as you're, as far as you're going. I yeah, don't care. Yeah. As far as it needs to be. No, this appears like an eight one. Okay. Nice. Yeah. I don't feel like it, it branches much higher than that, but this is for us. Like, I do not think we can understate the fact this is only 6%. That's nuts. Yeah. Like that's crazy for this much flavor and complexity to be crammed into a little six percent body. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, so I think this is this is very noteworthy, and for me, this beer is world class. Uh, I definitely would travel for it uh, to the great, great, great distance of Sacramento, all of an hour and twenty minutes away. That's fine. Again, that's morning time from Fieldwork. Eight point one for Johnny. Seven for me, sir. Shall we move along into hot and bothered? Oh, it's my favorite. Let's do it. Okay, so I'm just, it's a real banger. It gets stuck in your head, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, okay, so I here where to start. We recorded bonus content. You and I did. You mentioned it earlier. Uh, we did sort of in our movie making 101 series on Patreon. We talked about the role of a cinematographer. Yeah, I was busy all day 
not at my house. And I had to come home to do this thing. Cause we did it uh, sort of out of sync. We did it on Saturday. We usually do it on the day that we record our main episodes. And I yeah, hadn't and even, go ahead. Were you rushing home to be on time? I was, don't get me wrong. I rush all the time and I'm always late. I, I've tried to fix it for years and I'm, I think I'm getting better slowly, but it's I, just to let you know, since we sit down and do this every week, I'm not like just being lazy. I'm being irresponsible unintentionally. I think there's a difference. Okay. Okay, Max. So I was rushing home, but I had to eat. So I stopped by Taco Bell, which is already cause for shame. And I was like, this will be quick enough. I got to get one thing. And no joke. It took me 18 minutes to get through there, which is too long for a drive through. I don't know what was going on, but it was absurd. So I'm stressing out. I'm like ringing my steering wheel. Like I got to get home. Johnny's waiting for me, whatever. So I stuff my black bean crunch wrap into my face and I get home and I cut around the corner of my driveway. We have a little fence in the back and I hit the fence. <laughs> I'm coming in hot. I hit the fence, freak out. And I, in my brain, I'm like, I'll, I'm going to worry about it later. I run upstairs. We do an amazing episode on cinematography. I think uh, again, Patreon, if you want to check it out, really great. Um, and then afterwards I go back down, it's dark out and I didn't have my phone or a flashlight. So I was just like feeling the passenger side of my car. Like what, what, what did I hit? I definitely busted something. So where is the scratch mark? Could not find a ding at all. Not one. Then I went down in the morning, looked not a single ding anywhere on the van. I don't understand what's happening in this moment, but I know that the gods are smiling down upon me. I don't know what happened, but I'm safe. And then yeah. I, I look, you know, six inches lower and I have popped my rear tire, <laughs> fully <laughs> ripped it open on a bolt that was sticking out of the side of the gate. Oh ripped my it. God. It's fully flat. No saving it. So, uh, that was Sunday morning. Every tire shop and its mother is closed. <laughs> so I yeah. can't drive my van. And then Monday, uh, I make an appointment. Um, or I think it was actually Tuesday cause I didn't need my car Monday, whatever. I made an appointment got the tire fixed. But the point of the story is that a, I'm terrible with time management. B, I was so committed to recording our stuff for Patreon that you I crashed I, I your van. I crashed my van and popped a tire, which cost me a fun hundred dollars for negligence and Jesus. commitment. So again, one more time, if you want to join Patreon, we could use the money apparently. And it's a really fun time. You can hear me ash out all sorts of stuff about movies and probably stories like that. <laughs> Secondly, well, that's that's an adventure outside of your house. Dear God, don't yeah. crash your van anymore. Uh, no. Have you had any adventures inside your house? Perhaps I had one inside my uh, my mother's garage, which functions as an office. What'd and, you call me? Um, I on my newly uh, inflated tire in my minivan. I drove down to Modesto because my mom needed help putting in baseboards. I figure, how hard could baseboards be? I watch a couple YouTube videos. It'll be a cinch. I have a Carhartt hat. This is fine. I'm wearing my, no, I'm not. I wore it to run today. But uh, so I did some research on baseboards. I know that you need a couple things that are really important. Uh, Namely, a saw that cuts at 45 degrees, some caulking, uh, nails. That's mostly it. There's more stuff you could do. But anyways, this was yesterday for me. So I drove down to Modesto, um, left at like nine in the morning. Inevitably, if you've ever put in baseboards, there's always hiccups. In, in my case yesterday, it was like, number one, the garage floor is cement that wasn't laid particularly well, so it's uneven. 
and there's like metal and weird cement inside the wall. So I like can't necessarily get the baseboards in with two inch finishing nails. I have to use one inch finishing nails and wood glue to try to get it to stick to the drywall. It was a whole thing. Got it done. Got home at like nine 30. So it was like a 12 hour day of contracted manual labor that I was doing and my back hurts and namely my butt cheeks hurt because I was doing squats apparently all day long and I'm very sore and I hate it. I hate it. I'm so glad I'm not good at that job. I'm so glad I didn't pursue a career in contracting because it's tough. I'm bad at it. <laughs> and I'm not sure if that's a hot or bothered. I felt good getting it done, but man, tough. I think tough that's, that's a little bit of both probably. I think it's a bothered week for me, I guess. That's fair. That's that's very fair. I haven't had a bothered week maybe ever on the show. Maybe once. So oh, we'll, there's, we'll, we'll call yeah. this a bothered week. Like a full on. I had some great stuff too, but I'm going to focus on the negative. Why not? Yeah, why not? Sometimes you have to. Uh, you know, I think you've had more than one bothered week. Yeah, I feel I like so I can too. remember at least several. Sure. So there's probably got to be at least five or six. But I do tell you, there's nothing that coming home and playing a piano or a guitar or any other stringed instrument, maybe not even from America, can't fix. That's right. That's a perfect segue. I Googled it. Did you? I thought I was like, what a weird word is in Johnny's notes. What does that mean? What word am yeah. I talking about, by the way? Yeah, man. So... I go on a lot of like weird YouTube rabbit holes and I go like really deep, yeah. like get like to the nuts and bolts of things. And uh, at one point, I think I was watching like a buddy pulled up something on this instrument. It was a cover of a song. Yeah. I can't remember what the song was. It might have been like a Final Fantasy soundtrack something like that wait can you set the scene um, are you like a phone youtube diver or like computer or like no tv couch i use guy? i use my phone and it's linked to the tv okay, so i'm gotcha. scrolling on my phone and pulling it's up dangerous. videos playing yeah, you can playing get, them you can on get the a TV. lot of places real fast with that method but it's so fun because it's so much more you know controllable know. than cable or you know hulu like yep. it, like it's a mystery it's a journey we're going on a goddamn adventure mm -hmm. like it makes life feel exciting in the last year in COVID America, we do what we need to do to feel alive, Max. Fair. Sometimes it's YouTube rabbit holes. For me, that happens a lot. Happened again last night. But I'm going to take you back to a, uh, a previous rabbit hole that I went on because I was introduced to a new instrument that I was not familiar with. It's called the Guyin. And I'm 90% sure I'm saying that right. Spell it just in uh, case. G-U-Q-I-N. Okay. Um. It is a ancient Chinese instrument, and it has seven strings. And I went so deep last night; I was looking into like buying one. How do you tune this yes. thing? It's, it's it's wild. Were you drinking? Um, oh yeah, <laughs> I got a little tore up last night. Yeah, okay, um, but I had found this instrument because of a video my buddy showed me, and I went on a rabbit hole looking at different songs. And there's this one video that has like a shit ton of views and it's uh this song called upwards to the moon mm -hmm. and it's played on on a guyan and it's one of the most amazing pieces of music i've ever heard like the melodies in it and like the harmony just the the notes it's just magical it's one of those pieces of music like the first time i heard some like beethoven the first time i heard Joe Satriani play a guitar. Yeah. It stands out like that, where it's like, I, first of all, I've never heard anything like this instrument. Second of all, these melodies and this, because of the way it's arranged and the tuning, it's just so different and so new, but it feels so old. Like 
this is an amazing song. And I've always thought that Upwards to the Moon was a song that was, I don't know, written for the Guyan. Like, it just seems to play really naturally and it has a really great melody. Uh, come to find out, Upwards to the Moon, the Guyan line that is being played is mm. actually a vocal line from a song that was sung. Uh, and it's like the main like ending theme song to a Chinese high fantasy slash science fiction, weird, crazy, wild television show called Ashes of Love. This is ticking all your boxes, by the way. You're just like, Dude, I feel like you're just like scrolling like, oh my God, this is for me. Can I also just say, um, if you haven't seen a Guyan, uh, I'm guessing just by looking at it, it's played with some sort of a slide or like a, you know. Uh, your fingers. But how do you fret it? It looks like there, and there's no fret. Fingers. There's like, oh really? You're you playing. It's like a slide guitar, but with your fingers. Okay, so you should it, pull up the pull up the video for "Upwards to the Moon" and like just start watching it, man. I will, but you have my full attention uh, at the moment, and I just want to say yes. it, it kind of looks like like a, a a truncated cricket bat, but way better um, with yeah. some like weird notches out of it. It's a very fun looking instrument. It looks like it's been around for a while. The design, it's got yeah. seven strings, at least this one does. That kind of fan out from a narrow point and and span towards I would call it the neck, but who knows. Um, it's a very elegant looking thing and I'd, I'd like to, yeah, maybe we can play some of it under this if you'd be into that. Yes, okay. please do. Continue. But yeah, that's what you're hearing now is, uh, is give me the song title again. Uh, Upwards to the moon. Right. That's what everybody's hearing. Yeah. And that song arranged for the Guyan came from a song that was sung by the same name, Upwards to the moon from a series called Ashes of Love. And if you pull up the 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 sung version of Upwards to the Moon and put the lyric video up, it has, I believe, Mandarin as well as English subtitles. So you can actually get a vibe for what the song is about. And the whole song is about living for like 3,000 lifetimes. And I'm like, what it's too many. is happening? What is going on? So apparently the show Ashes of Love is about a couple that have like a predestined love and they're both immortal or at least she's immortal. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm going to look into it okay. because ashes of love is available to stream on Netflix. I freaked wow. out when I found that out. That's great. Like man. this, this rabbit hole came to a crazy conclusion. I was pretty buzzed and I started an episode like the first episode of ashes of love yeah. at like 11 o'clock last night. And I got like 10 minutes in and I'm like, I can't read these subtitles right now. Like I'm going to go to bed. Um, yeah. But it's on my docket. Like I'm super into it because it went from just being an amazing melody to a song that was sung in that melody with amazing lyrical content, like super deep, like philosophical, like crazy deep meaning in the words to then being a, a Mandarin language, high fantasy show with immortal Chinese elves, I don't know how else mm-hmm. to describe it, that have like, and it's all like heavy CGI. So it's like high, high fantasy. There's going to be creatures, there's flying, there's like ice swords. It's going to be awesome. So, man, it all started with the uh, the old Guyan and some really sweet music. And then one thing led to another. I'm going to watch some of Ashes of Love and I will report back. I, I'm counting on it. Speaking of timeless love stories, uh, when I was researching Minari for the show today, I learned that director Lee Isaac Chung has been slated to direct a version of Your Name, 
which is a film. It's an anime film that we covered on the show back in like 2016, 2017. I can't remember. Such um, a good movie. And I didn't do my research, but I assume that it might be live action because I don't Whoa. see the sense in remaking that really well-made anime movie. Um, and it doesn't have a release date yet. So I'm guessing like 2023, which feels ugh, awful to say, but fine. Um, anyways, if that is what happens, I'm really excited to see what Chung does with the project. It'd be really, really nice. I no bet. kidding. That's awesome. Huh. Um, any other hot and bothered for you this week? I am very excited. So it's kind of a hot, I don't know if we're going to cover it on the show at the very least. It's going to be in my probably either hot and bothered or a flick pick, mm-hmm. but the Snyder cut of justice league comes out in like 12 days. Okay. Well, let's unpack that for a minute because we both didn't like that movie. Now yes. the argument would be for watching this new cut, like, there's enough stuff that was cut out from the original that would have made it better had they included it. And a lot of it, mm-hmm. as I've gathered, because I've been kind of, I'm also on the internet, um, is a lot of like Jared Leto Joker stuff. Am I right? A lot of Jared Leto, some action, some stuff that changes the story and like the plot I'm, I'm gathering from what I've read. So m- my opinion on, on this whole thing is that I don't think anything's going to save that movie. I think it was trash. So I will not be participating in the viewing of that, but I am so horribly curious about what you think about it when you watch it. (laughs) Oh, you're going to watch it. Shut up. I really don't think I am, dude. Like I don't, I didn't, like I still can't even totally delineate between Justice League and Batman versus Superman because I know Snyder had a hand in both of those, if I'm not mistaken. Like, and they were both trash. They were just trash. Like performances were bad. The writing was bad. The CG was, was terrible which is usually the thing you can lean on when those other things are bad, but it was all bad. That's fair. I have no interest in seeing it at all ever again. Well, I will do the science work and I will delve into the Snyder universe and I will watch the Snyder cut. Yeah. Cause isn't it like an hour? Would you say longer? How much longer? I didn't say, yeah, I believe it is like an hour longer. Yeah. (laughs) Which I mean, an hour of extra scenes edited properly into a movie would change the movie. I feel like there's, there's validity to that argument. And I feel like he didn't have enough say because he wasn't able to work on any of the final editing or the final cuts or reshoots that like, I mean, potentially could have made or broken this movie. Uh, I mean, and it was because of his daughter died. Like I have to watch this movie just out of respect for Zack Snyder and him doing all this just to get his vision out there. I feel like he's putting in the work for a reason. uh, And I think he's as disappointed in that movie as we were. And I think he deserves us rewatching that movie. Okay. Well, you haven't swayed me that I will watch it objectively. No holds barred. But if you do watch it and then you tell me I should watch it, I will do it. Okay. Or you could just watch it like, yeah, it was real sad. Yeah. Um, or you could just watch it super biased and then still hate it. That'd be fine too. Yeah. But my point is I don't want to waste the time. You know, I got like, I got like nine other 2020 movies. I got to catch up on before we uh, do our top, uh, our top 10 in like two weeks. Fair, 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 fair. That's fair. I will report back. Okay. I also had a movie for my flick pick this week and forgot to put it in the notes, but this episode's going long. Yeah, sure. So I have a movie for flick pick next week. Uh, Should I tease it? Yeah. Tease it. Might as well. Tease it. Uh, this was actually a listener recommendation, homie of the show, the official patron saint of our haircuts. Oh, sick. One Chris Gomez was like, bro, you on that psycho Gorman shit? I'm like, what'd you just say to me? That's what I was about to say. 
so I watched a movie called Psycho Goreman, and it is a full-on B-movie, more comedy than horror, uh, kind of like trauma film in the vein of, excuse me, the Toxic Avenger, uh, uh-huh. stuff like that. So very like creature feature, super sci-fi, super spacey, lots of violence, lots of blood. Um, so if you get a chance to watch Psycho Goreman before next week's episode, I won't tell you everything I thought. I will tell you it was pretty cool and it was good enough to get in my flick pick next week. All right. That's fair. Yeah. It's, you can rent it on YouTube for six ninety nine. Um, it did come out in 2020. So uh, you can potentially, if that's on your 2020 list, catch up with it. I don't know if it's going to, uh, maybe it will, maybe it'll make somebody's top 10. I just looking at it. It's, it's not that kind of movie, at least I think 2020 <laughs> was a pretty good movie for or film. Good Lord year for movies. Yep. Um, and the, uh, the psycho Goreman of the title, I assume who's on the, on the poster looks like a cross between, um, how to describe this fella. Um, he's got pointy ears and very angular face with like lava type crack veins in his head. He looks like a dark elf slash like Urukai almost. Yeah. Like an orc maybe. Um, so that's another one, my friend, let me know what you think. Um, I don't care necessarily. Well, granted, Chris has cut my hair, I think, uh, tomorrow. Lots of shout outs in this episode. Um, so if he brings it up with me, I suppose I will watch it out of the good faith of thanking him for supporting our show. So, you know, maybe I will. Fair enough. Point is, watch it well, if you can. Never watch it me. if you can. Until then, tune in to hear that and so much more next week. We can't wait to do it. Max, any final goodbyes? Well, as usual, the show wouldn't be what it is without the support of my lovely sister, Bailey Minardi, uh, and all of our patrons on Patreon. Thank you guys so much for making the wheels turn on this thing. We really, really appreciate it. Um, and I'm looking forward to doing more virtual movie nights and more beard runs and more uh, bonus content with you, sir. Um, I think that's all I have. Obviously, thanks to the handlebar. Um, you got anything else? Nope. I'm good, man. Let's get out of here. We'll see you next week. Enjoy yourselves. Be good and drink better beer. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.